Hello, and welcome to the Pregnancy and Postnatal Podcast with me, your host, Tash Cullen. The aim of this podcast is to provide you with information in all aspects of maternity care and bring the experts to you so that you know what is available during your pregnancy and postnatal journey. There are so many experts out there that you may not have even thought about, so my mission is to increase your awareness and maybe help you to access care you hadn't thought about along the way. This week I am talking to Elise. I was honestly really excited about this conversation, as I've always been so amazed at how someone can know so much and be so passionate about baby gear. Elise was originally an engineer, and you can hear this in the way in which she understands buggies, car seats, and how they work. She is the founder of Taxi Baby and Pram Fox here in Singapore, where her goal is to make buying baby gear as pleasant and efficient as humanly possible. She is definitely the guru of baby equipment, and I hope that you find this conversation as interesting as I did. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Pregnancy and Postnatal podcast and today I'm going to be talking to Elise from Pram Fox and we're going to be discussing all things baby gear. So Elise, I'll get you to introduce yourself. Hi Tash, thanks for having me. Uh, in a former life I was an engineer and then a financial analyst and now I run Pram Fox which is a baby gear boutique in Singapore. I'm a mum of three boys. I three boys in four years, which was a little bit of an accident. Um, and uh, and now I sort of specialise in strollers and car seats particularly, um, but also the rest of the big baby gear. One of our customers called me the Hogwarts sorting hat of buggies. Yeah, I think you definitely have that reputation here. Everyone seems to come to you for buggy and car seat advice. When did you start up Pran Fox? Like, how did you get into becoming a car seat engineer rather than whatever you were before? Well, it all started pretty much just after my eldest son was born and I had a really hard time securing his car seat in a taxi and it felt wrong um, and it didn't feel super stable. And uh, and I asked all the mums in my mother's group at the time, like, does your car seat flop around a bit in the car? And a lot of them said, oh, yeah, but what can you do? And, um, and it hadn't been long since like I came out of a coal mine in central Australia where everyone is hyper vigilant about safety like when you walk up a staircase you need to be holding on with both hands you can't roll your sleeves up or you'll get like written up and get in trouble so I already had that kind of view to the world and uh and so I started researching and researching and um and ended up writing a blog which was called Taxi Baby about all of these things that I was learning and all of these little tricks and actually you can use this clip from this country and you can later you can get this product from that country and the blog went well and then people wanted to wanted help getting all of those tricky items because until then like my mother-in-law had just been running around baby shops in Sydney buying these things for me so we started importing them And and then Taxi Baby ran for about five years. It was still running. And then in 2020, uh, we pivoted and also launched Pram Fox because Taxi Baby is quite exposed to travel. And I'd always had this um, almost like a side hustle through Taxi Baby, giving consultations to expectant parents on what baby gear to buy. But they would never actually be able to get the baby gear through us. So I guess that's the biggest change is now we also have it. 
Yeah, and I guess choosing a buggy or any baby equipment actually is a bit of a minefield because you see so many reviews and all the different shops have so many different products and they don't really explain what's the benefits over one or the other. And I know that that's what you do a lot in your consultations. It is all so like unique and lifestyle based. So what is perfect for your best friend is only probably going to be perfect for you if you live in the same place take the same modes of transport, do exactly the same things every day, have the same chronic injuries. And and if you don't exactly match what your best friend has, then chances are you'd need a different buggy. Yeah, so let's talk about buggies uh, first. Let's talk about how how do you choose a buggy? Because, I mean, I had the, I think it was the upper baby Vista back in the day when my eldest was born. And I very quickly realized on moving to Singapore with my second one that an upper baby Vista to get into a taxi with a newborn baby and a toddler is almost <laughs> like a magic trick. Um, trying to make sure your newborn isn't driven away in a taxi and their car seat and having to also then take off the two parts with your car seat as well to get them into the taxi was almost impossible. And so I ended up just not using it and thinking actually I should have gone with a, a an easier buggy. So I guess that's kind of all factored in, but how, so how would I have made that decision? What, what kind of things would you look for? To start with, you need to understand what the features of buggies actually mean, because, you know, if everyone, everyone's kind of out there looking for a compact, buggy that can convert and take more children in the future is car seat compatible, has a bassinet, has a parent facing seat, has adjustable handlebars and can fit inside a like an aeroplane cabin. Um, Oh, and it'd be great if you can run with it or take it like over rugged terrain. Um, And that sort of thing just doesn't exist. So um, you need to design (laughs) one. (laughs) So if you like, you have to understand you know like which like what the feature actually means and then you need to work out whether that feature is a higher priority for you than one of the other features so like a really commonly misunderstood feature is the foldability of a stroller right so um, lots of ads for prams will say one-handed fold and one-handed fold doesn't always mean that it's easy to do you know like one of the most popular one-handed fold prams you have to um kneel all the way down on your haunches to press the button with one hand that starts the folding mechanism and if you've got a you know if you've got a bad knee or you know whatever it's or you're just postnatal yeah i mean gosh who would be postnatal with a newborn pram then yeah it can actually be really hard to do whereas some of the easiest folds around require two hands but you know you just kind of almost look at the pram with two hands and it folds so um the other thing to consider like one of the other really misunderstood features is this whole parent facing seat if you end up using a bassinet with your stroller and a lot of people will use a bassinet until about five six even up to ten months it really depends a on the weight of the child but b also on the developmental graduation of the child so if the if the if the baby still fits in the weight limit you can use a bassinet until they can pop up on their hands and knees and if you've been leaving your kid alone and like not like propping them up I see lots of I must google like a pregnant woman and I get a lot of pregnancy and newborn related ads uh, on social media but I see lots of courses here teaching parents how to teach their tiny babies how to move 
like teaching them how to roll and teaching them how to sit. And I'm, I'm a big I'm a big proponent of like natural gross motor development where you just leave them to their own devices and they'll do it when they're ready. Um, and so if if your child is quote unquote behind because you've let them develop this naturally, then you can actually squeeze another few months out of your bassinet. My point being, if you have used the bassinet for a long period of time, at the point where you transition to the stroller seat, your child may now have zero interest in looking at you and vice versa. Like they, they may be naturally at a point where they're going to be facing forward anyway. Whereas if you don't have a bassinet, uh, that's probably where a parent-facing seat carries a bit more weight. Yeah, because I, I think some of them don't come with that bassinet. They're all kind of a part of one buggy, especially some of the lighter, more compact buggies, right? So are they okay for a newborn baby to be in? Do they lie flat and, and are they okay for a newborn to lie down? In? Of the tier one strollers, like the Mercedes and BMWs of strollers, at, at least the ones that we've got in our shop, all of them can take a newborn straight in the stroller seat okay but a bassinet if if you're going to be going out with the baby and walking from your house so not catching a car kind of in that in any leg of that journey a bassinet can be incredibly valuable because it's just as comfy as the baby would be at home it gives you unparalleled flexibility and freedom to take your time running errands you know like you went to do this and then you might have a coffee and then Oh, you might do a bit of shopping. Whereas if you're if you're having to buckle the baby into the stroller seat, you might get a good nap out of them, but the chances of you getting a second good nap, a second good day nap nap out of them are probably a bit less. Plus, it's super easy to put a baby in a bassinet because they have high firm sides. You just put them in to the bed. Uh, you don't have to faff around with buckling them in or anything like that. And it gives them an opportunity to twist and move and, and sort of stretch out. And you can still go on a bus or MRT, for example, with a with a bassinet. So they could just sleep in the bassinet the whole day when you're just moving around. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think, I think I'd caught a bus once before I had kids in Singapore, of course, just because we lived near the train station and I caught the train everywhere or a taxi. But then after my second was born, I almost exclusively caught the bus everywhere like not having to faff around with car seats, just pushing the buggy straight onto the bus. You can have an open bus on a, uh, an open pram on a bus in Singapore now. They've even got stroller restraints on the buses. It's just easy to do. If one kid cries, you can cuddle or feed them. And yeah, so, so the, the bassinets can be great. And you can, you can use the bassinets also for them to sleep in some of them as well, right? So you could use them as their cot, which I found really useful if we were going abroad, then I would just take the bassinet and then that would be their cot instead of bringing a travel cot. Yeah, some of the, some of the bassinets are night sleeping approved and it gives you a lot of flexibility. I mean, we, we weren't expecting to fall pregnant the first, any of the times, but especially the first time. <laughs> and um and we lived in a tiny one-bedroom shop house apartment in the centre of town. And, uh, and so my first son used his stroller bassinet as his nighttime bassinet for the first five months because he needed to sleep in whichever room we weren't in. You know, that, um, that gave us a lot of flexibility and we didn't have a lot of gear. But, yeah, especially if you're thinking of going home over Christmas if the borders open then that can be a really easy way to travel. 
So if you're looking for a buggy in Singapore, given that this is where we're based, and I'm looking at the pavements thinking that they're really not very stroller friendly because some of them go from very wobbly, then there's a tree in the middle of one, and then there's very narrow or very wide. Um, what kind of qualities or features would you be looking in for a buggy in Singapore? The biggest thing is you need to be able to handle it. So I know when I bought my first pram, they gave me like a 600 gram baby doll to put in the pram and to push around. And I was like, oh my gosh, this thing handles like a dream, handles like a cat on carpet. And then when he got fat, suddenly like I had to push it with two hands and um, which doesn't seem like the end of the world, but it really is when you're like desperately trying to um, send someone a text message. Trying out, checking that you can handle the buggy when there is weight in it can save you so much heartache in the long run because you do need to be able to pop the front wheels up over a curb. Even if it's not something you anticipate you'll have to do a lot of the time, it's a really good marker of how well you can handle a buggy. Some buggies are um, really tall and so shorter mums have a hard time getting what we call curb pop, where they can pop the front wheels up when there's actual weight in the buggy. And some buggies have like a lot weaker frames than others. And so it's, it's a good measure to test that. So, I mean, we have kettlebells at the boutique of different sized children plus groceries that you test out. But if you're going to try it at a regular shop, go after you've gone grocery shopping and load it up with bottles of milk or bottles of water and, and then take it for a spin. Where you live, even if it is in Singapore, like where you live in Singapore is also a big deal. So when we lived in the CBD, a narrower pram would have been much better. Um, then, you know, we lived in River Valley, we lived in Holland Village, we lived in Bukitima, and in those places the size was not as critical. Like so long as you can handle it, if you do run into a... Uh, uh, a tree in the middle of the footpath. If you have a buggy you can handle well, you, you can get around it with, with like not too much trouble. But if you've got something that's already a bit of a tough, tough time to drive, then you're just going to have to turn around and go back the other way. Do you think it's worth people having more than one buggy? So one which is smaller and more compact and then a bigger one? Or do you think that you can find a buggy that pretty much meets all the criteria and you can just get away with one? Everyone is looking for this one pram this one magical unicorn pram that can do every single thing that they need. And if the only things that you want to do are walk around shopping centres and jump into taxis, then sure, this unicorn pram is probably pretty straightforward for you to find. If you want like competing, if you have like competing requirements, like you want to travel with it, like take it inside a plane cabin, and you want it to take two kids in the future or you want to run with it, then it starts making a lot of sense to take what you originally had for your um, stroller budget and like cutting a line partway through it and spending something, you know, on one fit for purpose pram and, and the rest of it on another fit for purpose pram. And then if, if you do have these requirements that are like at opposite ends of the spectrum, if you address those requirements with two individual buggies, you tend to get like a better job, like a better solution than trying to find something in the midpoint, which could potentially be a little compromise on all of the features that you're looking for. 
it is an absolute minefield, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, another nice thing is, is most people really do just need one pram from birth, even if they are like looking at a second one later. But kind of going into the stroller shopping process with, with like uh, acceptance of the concept that you may actually complement this with a second pram six or 12 months down the road can make the whole process a lot easier. And I mean, now especially that travel pram, you know, the, all of the travel features, that might actually be something that you decide to get down the track. Hopefully we will need those features soon. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of about buggies, but what about car seats? Now I know that you say that they're not as sexy as buggies, <laughs> but they're pretty important. And I know lots of new mums have lots of questions about car seats and forward facing, rear facing. So let's go through a couple of those. So firstly, is it as complicated to choose a good car seat over, you know, compared to a buggy, for example? No, the car seat is the easiest piece of baby gear to get. Like we have a quiz on our website that will like you answer all of the questions and it will tell you what your perfect car seat is in under five minutes. It's very black or white. Like there's not a lot of overlapping features. What about some of these car seats now are lying flat, which I know is a huge hit with a lot of parents. Are they safe? Are they good? You know, what's your perspective on it? Because from what I can see, it's genius because if my kid fell asleep in the car seat and then I was able at that time to collapse it so that it's a bit more flat, um, that would have saved me a lot of broken naps where I was then trying to resettle a baby. So um, is, it a good, is it a good feature to have in a car seat? For certain lifestyles, yes. So um, the car seat that will crack open into like a fully reclined position is called the Cybex Cloud Z. And it's one of the five infant car seats that we have in our lineup. Um, and it is the second heaviest of the five. And, um, and it's a bit more expensive. So if, if you're okay with those two items, like in the pro column, sorry, in the con column, then having the lay flat feature can, can really be great. So as you know, of course, laying, um, having kids not spend inordinate amounts of time in their car seat is important. However, it's pretty important also to understand what is a lot of time and what is not a lot of time in a car seat. So a lot of the, um, a lot of the literature around don't leave your kids in the car seat for too long, came out of the States where culturally it's quite normal to leave the baby in the car seat in the house during the day for the baby to take naps in the car seat in the house, to use the car seat as a rocker in the house, even as a, a high chair to feed the baby in the house. And so, of course, if the baby isn't getting time lying down on a flat surface while they're awake, they're not getting a lot of opportunities to twist and stretch and um, meet those developmental milestones. And it can, because they're not, I mean, car seats are designed to stop children from moving. This is the main reason kids hate car seats is because they want to move, right? So, so if, um, if you're always putting the baby in the car seat, you're not giving them opportunities to lay down and stretch out, that's obviously not a great thing. However, <clears throat> if you think about what your life will be like in Singapore, if you're you know, using a taxi to, to go to um, a doctor's appointment 
if you're using it to go to a friend's house or a cafe, when you're at your friend's house, the baby's going to be lying on the floor on a mat. You might start going to, you know, more baby-friendly cafes and one of your friends will bring a play mat and all of the babies lie down on that. You know, when you arrive at the cafe, you'll probably feed the baby. You'll have a baby carrier or a sling with you. So you've got an alternative place to put the baby that, so they don't have to spend the whole outing in the car seat. So with that in mind, knowing that you're giving your kids ample opportunity to meet those developmental goals, the lay flat feature really works for people who do think they're going to be spending regular and long days out uh, where there was a taxi in that trip. So, you know, if you live at the top of Nassim Hill, then yeah, every time you leave the house, it is probably going to be in a taxi. And so that's where it can start, you know, really playing in. If you're thinking you're taking a taxi once a week and it's just to run a quick errand or go to a doctor's appointment, then that feature may be less important to you than a seat that is a bit lighter or a seat that's got, um, you know, more sun protection, that kind of thing. Yeah, because I guess if they are in the car seat as well, then you're also going to have to be thinking about the buggy frame and whether they are then compatible. Because I guess if most people, if you're going out with the car seat, won't be bringing the bassinet as well, for example. So it's then thinking about, you know, is it light? Does it attach to my buggy? Then what the buggy frame's like? Um, but it's good to know that you can, because a lot of our mums will ask us about that time in the car seat because you know, they'll say, oh, they're supposed to only spend X amount of time in the car seat and they're definitely in that for longer by the time I've got somewhere. Um, and I always used to say in the UK, it used to take me four hours sometimes to drive somewhere. So bar a feed in the middle, I, they had to go in the car seat. So, you know, it's just making sure that you're watching them and that they're breathing and that, you know, everything's safe in that sense as well. And they are getting that tummy time and, and being able to move around. Exactly. So um, understanding which car seats are compatible with which strollers seems like a real headache but it's actually comically easy. It's like a massive secret undercover op in the industry, but every single tier one car seat is compatible with every single tier one stroller. The exception to the rule is Britax. But Britax is kind of hard to get in Singapore anyway. So, you know, Nuna, Be Safe, Mountain Buggy, Bill and Ted's, Maxi Cozy, Cybex, um, they all use the same adapter. The stroller brand might have been paid to call it X brand adapter, but they're all universal. I did not know that. <laughs> and so that's why when people come into the boutique, we start with car seats, especially if you don't have a car or you do have a car, but you want a car seat that will um, attach to your buggy. There's only five options. And each of those five options has a really defining feature that sets them apart from others. For example, this lay flat feature that you get on the Cybex. And so, and they are all, they're all European iSize certified, which is the highest standard in the world for crash testing at the moment. And so you have a look at those five and you just make that decision because they will all fit on all of the prams. So you can divorce the buggy versus car seat decision. That is very good to know. I think that would have made my life a lot easier. I did not realise that at all. And then you can take that positive momentum from deciding on the car seat and go straight into the rest of your baby gear. So always start with the car seat. It's the easiest. So if I buy a car seat for my first baby, can I keep it for all of my subsequent children? Possibly. It depends how um, 
quickly you have all of these subsequent children. So car seats expire um, because all plastic degrades over time. Now with car seats, the plastic actually needs to have structural integrity because it is designed to withstand upwards of 50 g-forces in the event of a car accident. So it's not just in the category of all the other baby gear. Um, you know, car seats are in the category of motorbike helmets and other, you know, critical safety, life-saving equipment. So, <clears throat> car, so car seats expire and a lot of car seats nowadays are clearly articulating what that lifespan is. Um, you know, the infant car seats that we sell range from seven years to 10 years of life. And, and that's from the date of manufacture as well. So if you happen to get a car seat for an absolute bargain from someone who was clearing stock, it may actually be because, you know, do check. It may actually be because it's three years old already. So, um, yes, it is possible to hand down the car seat. You want to make sure that you've kept all of the pieces. Um, you know, you might have used an infant insert for the first, say, two months, and then you may have lost that. But that's actually a really critical safety feature, and the car seat won't be safe for a newborn without that feature. Um, you also want to make sure that there was never a car accident, even if the baby wasn't in the car at the time. And you want to make sure that um, you can't see any defects on the car seat. So if we jump for a second to secondhand car seats, if, oh, sorry, the other thing you need to check is that it never got checked into the luggage hold of an airplane without being packed into a cardboard box or a carton. Just popping it in a bag won't be enough to protect it from, you know, rumbling 30 kilogram suitcases amongst your four kilogram car seat. Um, and we've got an article on how to gate check your car seat which uh, has some videos of, you know, car seats not being lovingly handled by baggage handlers or, you know, because the car seat is a really strange shape. Um, we've got videos of it like falling off the luggage cart, rolling around a bit, getting popped back on the luggage cart. So they're, they're like the four critical things to check with a, with a hand-me-down car seat. Now, if you're getting this car seat from a, your sister or your best friend who you can ask those clear questions and they, you know, you can trust their answer, then there are times when secondhand car seats can be okay. If you're paying a stranger for their car seat, it is a little bit harder to um, be really confident in their answers because they do have a conflict of interest. You mentioned about car seats expiring. How would you check that? In the manual, it will tell you the lifespan of your car seat. And then somewhere on the car seat, it will have the manufacturing date. Infrequently, the manufacturing date will be printed onto a label and will be written like regular humans read dates and it will be really easy to see. But most of the time, it will be um, stamped into the plastic uh, for engineers to read what the date is. So it'll look like um, two or three, sometimes even four clocks stamped into the plastic of the shell somewhere. Uh, one of the clocks will point, will have like 12, um, like we'll, we'll have 12 numbers around it. There's a word for the, for the iterations on a clock. Um, that one is what month it was manufactured. 
there'll be another clock that just like randomly talks through the teens. Like it might go 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, and wherever the hand of the clock is pointing, that will tell you what year it is. And then there's usually one um, that has like some of the other manufacturing details on it. It might have like four uh, or it might have 30. So obviously the 31 is pointing to the day. And you can take a picture of these weird clocks and send them to me and I'll read them for you. I had no idea before speaking to you, obviously, that car seats expire and I'm dreading to think whether I was putting my kids into expired car seats, hopefully. <laughs> Luckily, everything's been okay, but goodness me. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, definitely check your car seats, everyone. I wish I had known all of this six years ago before my eldest was born because the number of what I now know were like critical errors or faux pas is astronomical. You know, none of us have a clean slate. Yeah, thanks. That makes me feel better. <laughs> um, the other thing you mentioned was newborn inserts, and I know I get quite a lot of questions on this on how do I know when is the right time to take the newborn insert out? What are the features that you're looking for between that and your baby, for example? I'm going to sound like a broken record, uh, but read the manual. So some of the manual explicitly state that you must use the infant insert until the child is a particular, usually a particular height nowadays. It used to be a particular weight. Um, other ones will give you like guidance that it would be around this mark. Typically, around two to four months, we find that kids outgrow their infant insert. Now, it's completely dependent on the seated torso height of the child, not really their total height, because if they've got really long legs, then their torso height, you know, is kind of closer to that of a smaller child. Um, and, you know, all of the baby's dimensions and proportions are different. So my second son was tiny for a very long time and he used his infant insert for five months. And my third son was a monster and he used his for one week. So it really does depend on the child, but do know that that infant insert is designed to be taken out at some point in the early months. And one of the biggest mistakes I find is people say, oh, my six-month-old has outgrown their infant car seat already. And actually, it's because they've still got this newborn insert in there already. Pretty much all of the car seats have height-adjustable shoulder straps. A lot of parents don't realise that. Um, and so these infant car seats should really last you until about 18 months. A lot of people think they only last for a year or that they only last for six months. Um, but if you adjust the car seat as your child grows. I mean, for some petite girls, I've seen them get past two years old in their infant car seat. And if you don't have a car and you rely on taxis, these infant car seats are a lot more convenient than the toddler car seats. And so you want to squeeze every last week that you can out of your infant car seat, so long as it is still safe. It may not be as comfortable as it was two months ago, but so long as it's still safe. Um, so when you're deciding whether to take the infant insert out, if your baby looks like too big, just do a test. Take the infant insert out, put the baby back in the car seat and check where their shoulders are relative to where the shoulder strap sits. If they're um, shorter than the shoulder strap, then you need to use the infant insert for a bit longer until they're either 
at the same height as the shoulder strap or even a little bit taller. Okay, so that's newborn inserts. And what about a car seat? How do you know when they've outgrown the car seat without the newborn insert? Every car seat's a bit different. So you do need to check your manual. Read the manual. And a lot of I feel like that's such a standard engineer response. (laughs) (laughs) The dad, like of all of the manuals that you want to read for baby gear, sure, don't read the manual for the pram or the bouncer. It's not the end of the world. But you dads, you must read the car seat manual. They're not long. Like they look like they've given you a novel, but that's because there's 17 languages in there. There's only like three pages of English, but just read it. Uh, So the car seat will max out at a certain weight and height. Um, Most of the infant car seats are either 12 to 13 kilos. Um, They also now with new eye size regulations, they give you a maximum height. And there is actually a difference in the maximum height for the different car seats. If we think about first principles safety approach, though, the total height of the child is largely irrelevant. It's the seated height that's important. And when they're sitting in the car seat, we want their head to be fully contained inside the shell of the seat. If their head is popping out the top of the seat like a lipstick, that's a good sign that they need to move on to the next stage car seat. And that's always a lot longer than you think it's going to be, right? Because I remember thinking, oh, he looks really big. Definitely he should be outgrowing this like baby car seat and actually I was like no he's definitely still supposed to be in there yeah a lot most parents will try to transition their baby out of the infant car seat six to 12 months before the actual limit is reached and if you do have a car sure as soon as it's less convenient for you transition to the toddler seat but if you don't have a car like gosh just squeeze every last week that you can out of it so kids as you know kids will go through growth spurts Um, not uniformly. So my son, uh, he was like right in line with the top of the car seat, but he hadn't yet reached the weight limit. And so I thought, well, as soon as he grows, you know, half a centimetre or a centimetre, we have to go to the next car seat. And he grew 15 centimetres over the next 14 months, but none of that height was in his torso. It was all in his legs. So actually we got a whole, like over a year longer out of the car seat, even though I thought, oh, any week now, any day now, we're going to have to move. I was just going to ask as well about this forward and rear facing. I think it's, I feel like it's a bit of a common theme that almost parents want their kids to kind of grow up quite quickly and moving them out of their baby car seats quite soon into the the bigger ones, making them like face forward so that they can see out the windows and actually that's quite late as well to do that. What's the recommendation on keeping them rear or forward facing? We know a lot more now than we did like even five or 10 years ago about how kids' bodies grow and how they behave in a car accident. Children's bodies are functionally and fundamentally different from adult bodies, as you'd know, Tash. So as children move through the juvenile phase, their skeleton itself changes. I I can't remember, and you would probably know the numbers, but you know, there's what, there's 200, 200 and how many bones in an adult body? Okay, this is not a biology lesson. Okay, okay, there's, there's <laughs> bones in an adult body and, and over 300 in a child's body. So my vertebrae are fused and they're like each vertebrae is a single bone, but in a child's spine, particularly a baby's spine, each vertebrae is made up of five individual bones 
held together by cartilage and connective tissue. And this is what makes children's bodies able to grow so quickly. I mean, their pelvis itself is also hasn't fused or um, ossified yet. And so, you know, children's babies, uh, babies' bodies are little slinkies. And it's one of the reasons why kids can fall asleep in a stroller in the most awkward position and they don't wake up like I would and not be able to look right for the next four days because they have these incredibly, you know, flexible joints. And it's because of these joints that we do need to keep them rear-facing for longer. So if they're forward-facing in an accident, the children will move forward as the accident occurs and the harness of the car seat will hold them in place, okay? It will hold their torso and their body in place, but their head and their arms will move forward. Now, little party trick, children's heads are also not the same proportions as an adult's head. So you get any kid up until two years old to try and touch the top of their head with their hand and they can't do it. They can't reach the top of their head. Seriously? Seriously, party trick. Every, everyone with an under two-year-old right now is going to be pausing this and be like, hey, kid, come here. <laughs> Here's a party trick for yeah, you. Or like they can only just touch their fingers. And so if that was, if that was an adult, you know, like make a, make a circle above your head with your fingers touching and you can see proportionately just how big your head would be if you were a child's proportions. So we have got a super stretchy, slinky spine combined with an enormous head relative to the proportions of their body. And the head is heavy. It's too heavy for the spine. And so kids experience can experience like severe spinal, head, neck and spinal injuries if they're forward facing in an accident. Flip to a rear facing kid in a car seat. And in an accident, all they do is push backwards into the shell of the seat. So there's almost no loads on their head, neck or spine. So the gold medal standard these days is to keep kids rear facing until four or older, which sounds alarming. But honestly, pretty much all of the new car seats allow you to do that easily and, you know, with extreme convenience. Where do the legs go? Because a four-year-old is quite tall. So do they cross their legs or...? They can put their legs up the back of the vehicle seat. They can use their legs to kick their brothers in the face. Like they're very flexible. They can do anything that they like with their legs. And this is a really key point is a child cannot outgrow their car seat because their legs are too long. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I think one I didn't actually realize my kids, well, they're now older, but they are forward facing. So I think I need to have a chat with them. So my six year old is, um, you know, keeping in mind that I'm a bit of a nerdy burger, my six-year-old is rear-facing and he's a big six-year-old. He's 23.8 kilos and he's in a rear-facing car seat in our tiny little Honda Jazz or Honda Fit, like it's a little hatchback. Um, and his two brothers are also rear-facing. Like, So it is possible to do. Um, and he actually really likes it because he thinks he's got his own windscreen. He thinks he's in charge of reversing. He's got windscreen wipers. Uh, he tells me when he thinks I'm going to run into something. 
<laughs> like that's his job in the car. Like like he is like the navigator when, when whenever we're reversing. And I remember And I guess from a from a mothering point of view as well, you don't actually get to see what's going on because they're all facing away from you. So you could be, you know, rolling your eyes whilst they're kicking each other and it's everyone's possible <laughs> deniability. I can snack in the front thing. <laughs> Um, and I could, I, I could use like a rear view mirror if I wanted to see them. <laughs> so the gold medal standard is to, to go rear facing to four or older. The silver medal standard is until two or older. And the bronze medal standard is until one. And so I'm Australian. Coming from Australia, Australians, we have this sense that we've got the best car seat kind of laws and regulations in the world. And, you know, I'll only spend two minutes on this. We, we have the strictest, you know, you can go to jail and have your insurance voided for not following the Australian legislation and the Australian standard. But the legislation and the standards themselves are just a bit out of date and haven't been haven't kept up with the rest of the world. So in Australia, it is legal to turn a baby forward facing at six months. That's not legal anywhere else in the world um, and you can tell it's not even getting you a bronze medal to, to do that so having in your mind that you're going to aim for four years is a great place to start and then just see what life happens yeah as with everything else as well <laughs> okay so um we've come into the end now i just wanted to ask you firstly what are the biggest errors that you see parents making when choosing a car seat or a buggy they just get what their friend told them to get. Yeah, that's so true. I definitely did that. <laughs> um, okay, and then lastly, just a bit on um, baby equipment. So what would be your kind of top purchases if you were a new mum with your first baby that you think are really essential because they're super handy and stuff which you almost can't live without? A car seat and a pram, of course. Somewhere for the baby to sleep, but it doesn't have to be as elaborate as you may have been led to believe. Uh, on the breast pump, there's, uh, there's a big question as to whether it's worthwhile for you to buy that before or after the baby is born. There's a lot of merit in just waiting to see how breastfeeding is going. On the flip side, if you think that you want to really fight for breastfeeding on the, like, on, on the occasion that you potentially have a hard time with it or you're going to go back to work quite, you know, in quite early, then there can be a lot of value in having a hospital grade pump before the baby is born. A lot of the other stuff like the sterilizers and the, the play stuff, I think it's just best to wait and see what ends up happening. I mean, having some kind of um, little chair for the baby, I think is really, even if you don't buy it until two weeks, Having done the research while pregnant and kind of picking out the one that you think you'd like, I think can save you a lot of heartache because, of course, the default position is that when you're at home and the baby's awake, they just lie down on a mat flat, um, you know, to explore their environment. But if they're not having a bar of that and, you know, you filled your quota of tears for the day and you just want to eat something without someone having to hold the baby, then having one of those little bouncy slash rocker chairs, even if you're only using it for 20 minutes at a go, can really help with your sanity. Um, and the last big one that I think really helps from birth is a baby carrier, but not the baby carriers that you're thinking of. 
So the regular baby carriers uh, that go up to about 20 kilos, all of them on the box say that they work from newborn, but they're quite awkward for a teeny tiny baby. And most of the time it just results in a really rocky and awkward start to your baby wearing experience. So um, having a specific newborn carrier, you know, that might only go up to say 11 kilos or something, but you know can work from day one, I think is really valuable because in our minds, a baby carrier is like a transport tool. It's an alternative to using the stroller if you wanna go for a walk. But in that fourth trimester, the, the baby carrier is actually an alternative to you holding the baby for four hours or being stuck on the couch with a baby sleeping on your chest because it just happens to be one of those days when every time you try and put the baby down, they wake up and scream. So those newborn carriers have a very different use case and they're designed to be small, snugly used in the house. You know, they're typically not these mesh buckle up monstrosities. They're, they're usually easy to use, small and snugly. They're also brilliant for babies with reflux like mine because they keep them upright and you have that nice bonding and they tend, it was literally the only thing that I could get more than 45 minutes sleep out of my second one. Um, so he literally just lived in the carrier. And that's also because it's, they're in that fourth trimester, right, those first three months where it helps them, you know, feel safe, feel like they're in your tummy still. They're literally like little kangaroos, essentially, when they're born, right? This is so, the transition from womb to world. And we're just trying yeah. to ease that transition. And I find a lot of dads of first time, you know, of first babies feel a bit helpless in the in that in that fourth trimester they think well i don't have milk uh so i can't help the crying baby but uh, you know a good portion of the time the baby just wants to listen to a heartbeat be lying on something warm and you know be a little bit tight and move around with the you know as, like like when they were moving around in your belly uh, and so that can kind of be like dad's secret weapon is to work while he wears the baby or you know even if you just want to you know, it's the simple pleasures, making a sandwich, doing a wee, you know, texting with two hands, <laughs> like eating with a knife and fork, <laughs> not just a fork. <laughs> yeah. And we, I mean, we often teach about the, well, we always teach about the five S's um, in our prenatal classes. And I mean, a, a, a baby carrier will basically meet pretty much all of those needs. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree with the baby carrier. One of the things which we sing a lot of now is almost like these um, wearable carriers where you do have to have a size. And what's your advice on when to get measured for the carrier? We, you obviously can't really do it in pregnancy. So this is something that once your baby's born, you can do straight away. Or how do you do that? So when the baby, when a baby's carried, their head actually, like they need to be high enough that you're able to kiss the center of their forehead without having to shrug your shoulders. So what that means is the baby is not actually on your tummy. They're sitting up like on your chest bone. And um, we find that, especially with what's called the T-shirt carrier, that we can fit mums even up to like seven or eight months pregnant because the really critical point of getting sized for a baby carrier is like where your bra strap goes. And that part itself doesn't vary wildly. The, the t-shirt carriers can be great because 
you know, they're easy to put on and they're like a pre-wrapped wrap. So you don't have to, you know, deal with that learning curve of three hours on YouTube working out exactly how to wrap. And then, you know, I remember doing that <clears throat> and the screaming baby and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to wrap him. I spend 10 minutes putting the wrap on while he's just like bellowing. I pick him up and then I've either done it too loose or too tight. So I got to put him back down again and be like, just give me a minute, love. And I'll like change the tension. So it's literally like origami on your body. Yeah. And some people are awesome at it. And that's great. And if you like, you can do so many things with the wrap, but the benefit of the, of the T-shirt carries is you don't have to do that. But the it has all the benefits of a wrap without actually having to learn how to tie it. And um, it is critical to get the right size. This has been amazingly interesting. Who knew that buggies and car seats and baby equipment could actually be really interesting? I mean, obviously, this is your passion, so but I can totally get it. <laughs> so the last question that I want to ask you is, um, this doesn't have to be related to what we've talked about today, just life in general. What is your top tip to either a new mum or somebody who's pregnant or both? Oh, easy. This is one that I learned a really hard way, like five months in. And that is um, all babies cry, all humans cry. Uh, and it is not your job to stop your baby from crying. Uh, you know, a, a, a non-crying baby does not necessarily equal a happy baby. Uh, and similarly, uh, you know, it was so, so what if they're sad and they want to tell you how they feel? I think um, getting into the habit and the mindset of acknowledging and accepting that sadness and being there with them, but not necessarily feeling like it is your job to fix and solve whatever caused that, uh, I think will relieve a big burden off your shoulders. I've definitely met a few mums this week who could have heard that for sure. Um, it's been so fun talking to you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast and hopefully we'll catch up again at some point. Thanks, soon. Tash. Bye. Thanks again, Elise, for such an informative chat. As ever, if you've liked this episode, please share it with any friends and leave us a review as this really helps us to reach as many pregnant and postnatal mums as possible. 